This is Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg Radio. This week on the podcast, I have Fred Fox. He is the founder and CEO of Planalytics, which is really, I'm going to say it's the most interesting firm you've probably never heard of. They specialize in integrating weather data into the planning of various companies from retail to insurance to transportation. Uh, What they try and do is find ways of removing the impact of weather from a company's data so they could create a baseline to look forward and do future planning. And when you turns out that when you do that, there are some really fascinating things you learn. You learn who is impacted by weather. It, it's not necessarily who you might think. When, when you look at the economy of the U.S. is about 70% consumer spending, and you think how large retail is uh, as a part of that, weather really has an outsized impact on the overall economy. Now, granted, you may give up sales in February and recapture them in, in March, but there are consequences to that, whether it's in the same quarter, whether you're getting the same price, the same margin, etc. It really has a very, very significant discount. And the impact of weather on online retailers like Amazon is absolutely stunning. You will be shocked when, when you hear this. So with no further ado, here is my interview with Fred Fox. My guest today is Fred Fox. He is the founder and CEO of, of Planalytics. Uh, Fred has pioneered the development and commercialization of weather analytics and how this impacts the global supply chain. He advises many of the world's largest corporations. Uh, Previously, he is the inventor of a patent, uh, which I think we could call weathernomics. Is that a fair description? Uh, He received a BS degree from the Georgia Institute of Technology. This is really a fascinating subject because, as, as we see and have seen over the past couple of years, weather has an enormous impact on the economy, on the basically where people live, how they live, how companies can operate. What first got you interested in this topic? Well, it's uh, great to be here. I left Sorry. out. Welcome to Bloomberg. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. Thank I'm you. like racing right into this because I'm jazzed about this uh, great. subject. Well, look, you know, you start with several key facts. One, uh, weather is the uh, envelope that we all live in and have lived in since mankind first walked upright on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, you, and even before, I would say. Even before. So if you look at today's economy, 60% of the world's GNP, gross national product, is from consumer spending. Mm-hmm. And 60% of consumer spending is highly affected by weather. So when you take a step back... Well, explain that. What do you mean 60% of consumer spending is affected by weather? Meaning the ability of... uh, We hear it every season, retailers, quarterly numbers, they come out and said, well, winter started late, it's a cold winter, it's a warm winter, it's... Do you mean that sort of effect, or actually moving goods around the world, or both? No, actually, just just affects affecting consumer purchasing decisions Mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. Weather has that effect still today. And so what I mean is that weather drives need, not once. So when weather drives needs, not once. Okay, so the summer people buy swim gear and the winter they buy heavy coats if they're in that part of the world. Exactly. So everything that we wear as Mm -hmm. clothing, most of it has a weather impact unless it's high fashion. Everything we put on our body, whether it be suntan, lotion, anything to do with the mm-hmm. eyes, ears, nose, face, skin, all is weather affected. Any, any, anything we do outdoors, lawn, garden, outdoor hiking activities, all, all of those things are highly affected by weather. And so when you look at the impact that weather has on when we buy, how much we buy, at what price we buy it at, Weather is involved in all of those purchasing decisions on an unconscious level. Uh, I, you have me thinking about the things I purchase 
be it be it suntan lotion or the fact that I have a Jeep because I live in part of the world where when it snows and you have a regular car, you sometimes ain't going anywhere without, and I'm not a truck guy, but let me tell you, I don't even think twice about snow anymore. All right, it's going to slow everything down, but at least I know I could get to where I have to go. Right. Those sorts of decisions, that's what we're Absolutely. To. And so we know there are seasons, you know, there's fall, uh, spring, winter, summer, but the timing of when those seasons start, where they start, affects enormously when and where and how much people buy. So, for instance, uh, this February in in the Northeast was fairly mild. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had an early start to the spring season, and then March came. And March was downright cold, wet, nasty. And, And so spending on normal spring, summer stuff stopped for almost... Four to five weeks. Wow. Um, we had the same thing in the summer. It was a surprisingly cool May and a ridiculously hot June. Right. And so April came. April was warm and and, and, and nice. And so consumer spending shot up. And then May came and it was cold and wet again. And so, you know, what took place in June, even though June was a nice month to sell, everything was selling at off price because by that point everyone needs to get rid of merchandise or too late in the season. So while retailers may have sold out of their inventory, they sold a much lower price level than they would have had it sold in March. And so weather has an enormous effect on all of these things. How do you define business weather intelligence? So what we mean by that is really putting weather into a context that businesses can use and action to make different types of decisions. And that's what really weather analytics and uh, the world of analytics allows us to do today on a mass scale in affordable basis is to take all this rich data that comes out of the retail and uh, retail supplier industries, mounds of data, and match it with weather so that we no longer uh, have to guess at what our weather impact is. Today, there's, we can know exactly when, where, and how much weather is driving consumers to buy or not buy. Let's talk a little bit about some of the ways the weather impacts business. I, I keep hearing these crazy numbers. The eclipse that took place earlier this year, uh, was $750 million to a $1 billion in, in lost business. Is that remotely true? It certainly could be true if you assume that all of us took off a few hours of work to watch it, I guess uh, I, I, I guess it could be. The, the impact of weather, though, tends not to be the big storms that we know. So something like oh, a really? Sandy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, something like a Sandy definitely had an impact, but it was very localized, and, and, and it was very short-term in those localized areas. The large impacts come from temperature and precipitation, which are much more spread out mm-hmm. over broader areas. So this past March and May, when it was cold and wet, it was cold and wet over the eastern half of the U.S. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big area for it to drive versus a big storm like you uh, like a Sandy. So, so that's surprising to hear. I think of big storms, and I think of Sandy in the New York area. We were out, didn't have power for 13 days. You see Katrina, which wreaked havoc on a city like New Orleans. But all those things were fairly localized. You're saying the day-to-day changes in weather, the unexpected or at least drier than or hotter than, are, are those the big impacts? Yes. Yeah, so March probably had about a $3 billion negative impact on just the DIY industry. Meaning people who, who do their own home building, their own uh, repairs, their own gardening? Is that, that what we're talking about? Because of all the rain and cold, mm-hmm. it really it de- delayed what people did. Now, they made a bunch of that back up in April, but mm-hmm. not all of it. That, that's fascinating. What what are um, other ways that weather impacts business and the economy that that I think most people don't realize? Well, weather in 
impacts traffic. Mm -hmm. So the choice to go to a restaurant is based on how nice it is outside as well as anything. So rain and lots of rain really dampens, no pun intended, but, but, but it dampens restaurant traffic. And so the more lower price the restaurant, more mm -hmm. in the QSR, the more the impact, meaning that the higher priced Again, need versus wants. If we're going to a high-priced restaurant, we may go out during rain. Right. More you make reservations. It's, it's tough exactly. to get. Exactly. A it, little rain shouldn't keep you away. Right. Where if it's a McDonald's or a sub uh, Subway, we probably won't go if it's raining. Huh. Uh, little things like uh, restaurants that have a drive-through are less weather impacted than those that don't have a drive-through. Meaning people don't have to get out of the cars, they'll drive through it, they'll pick it up, they, exactly. don't, they don't care about the weather. Exactly. What What about things like uh, rain is easy? What about snow, which makes it a little dicier to drive uh, outside? Now, the caveat to that is you go to Canada in the middle of January and they're oblivious it, to it. Exactly. So weather affects people differently based on where they live. So for instance, uh, a few flakes of snow will shut down Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. A few. Remember Dallas last year had a, a brief ice storm. Yeah, literally the entire them. city was closed. It kills them. Where if you go up to let's say uh, Vermont, they're driving in several feet of snow. It doesn't even bother them. So uh, people, let's say in Minneapolis, will buy thermal underwear only when it goes down below let's say twenty five d degrees is when it starts to sell. But in uh, Florida, they'll start buying it when it's about 65. Thermal underwear in Florida below 65 degrees. Yes, because they are used to warmer temperatures, so that slight change uh -huh. is as big an impact as it is in Minneapolis when it goes below 25. So let me push back on this theory a little bit. Look, the, the weather goes the counter argument is cyclical. It's cold in the winter, it's warm in the summer. Aren't people more likely to buy things like overcoats or thermal underwear in nor northern climates as we head into winter? How much is that really impacted by short-term swings in the weather? It's a lot more than you think. So most people don't buy ahead of a season. Uh -huh. Most people buy on impulse when they start feeling a certain way. So it's an internal clock that goes off. As soon as we feel warm or feel cold, right. wet or dry, sort of puts off that clock, oh, we have to go and buy this or buy that. So when, 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 uh, when unfavorable weather happens early in the season, it puts off purchases. The more you put off purchases, the more people, as you go through the season, are likely to put it off for an entire season. So there's a point at which they say, uh -huh. you know what, I don't really need that overcoat. I'll get through the winter with what I've got, and I'll wait till next year, or, or I'll wait till the they go on sale uh, in the spring. So as far as the way the price game is played, uh, you know, the earlier in the season it sells, the higher the price you're going to get. The later in the season it sells, the lower the price. So it makes a big impact on profits and margins. That's quite fascinating. So uh, we always hear weather as a go-to excuse of CEOs uh, during earnings calls. H how legitimate is it? I mean, when I hear a retailer say, hey, our sales are soft because... It snowed in the winter. Well, it's supposed to snow in the winter. Why would your sales be off? How much of this is excuse-making, and how much of this is a legitimate concern of, of companies like retailers? So we always say that weather is a reason for retail performance. Our, our main message to the industry is that, though, that you can't manage to what you've never measured. Mm -hmm. And in a world of big data analytics, where you can really analyze any size data set for very little money, there's no excuse why, why companies today can't know and tell the street and investors precisely how weather's driving them. How do you guys use big data to help companies create those sort of analytics? 
So it used to be, up until a few years ago, that a chief executive could get away with just blaming weather and not be punished for it. Mm -hmm. And today, blaming weather is just not enough. Our message is that you can now take all of your historical data, sales data, measure it against weather, and come up with a precise model that every day, week, month, quarter, any given time, you can know exactly how weather's driving your business. We had one client, who I won't name uh, a, a DIY group, that put out to the street in this, uh, that weather really hurt them in the spring, but they didn't explain exactly how it hurt them. And so everyone assumed it was an excuse, and their stock dropped mightily mm-hmm. as a result of it, and they're still recovering from it. Uh, those companies that can put out not only that weather drove them, but explain it drove us down by 5% due to weather in the Northeast that hit us here, and yet our sales were up here, that can that can really be transparent about it are going to be rewarded by investors. Uh, weather can hide as well good financial results. So in in this company's uh, example, when you stripped out the impact of weather, their sales were actually way up over last year. But they were against the headwind of climate and weather, so it mm-hmm. was really un- it was really covering up how good that they were doing. So that sort of information sounds like it would be very helpful for hedge funds, traders, anybody who's looking to capture a short-term advantage uh, in in short-term market movements. Raises the question: Who are your clients, aside from some of these big retailers and others? Are you selling this research, these analytics, to Wall Street? So uh, we sell, obviously, to our to all the large retailers, manufacturers globally. That's our main client base. We do a little bit in, in uh, agriculture, and mm-hmm. we also sell some of the benchmark research to uh, financial firms who are using it for their own research. Mm-hmm. Any hedge funds? Anybody who's really specifically looking for, show me where the data is better, but it's masked by by weather. Is that is that a potential client base? It is is a potential client base. It's not currently a big client base of ours. So we're talking about retail. You have Amazon as the eight hundred pound gorilla gorilla in the room, and when I'm sitting in the comfort of my living room with the fireplace. Uh, burning, the weather outside almost doesn't matter. How has Amazon impacted your business, and is weather significant to them and their sales? I uh, I love the U.S. this point because here's one of the most fascinating things: Amazon and online sales mm-hmm. are actually more impacted by weather than store-based sales. I would never have guessed that. And I wouldn't have either until we started to look at the data several years ago. And this is this is this is the reason. You know, again, weather drives need. And when it's a certain type of weather, and you suddenly want to buy a certain type of product because of the weather, you still have to get into a car to go to a store to buy it. So there is a uh, versus picking up your phone, mm-hmm. punching in a few uh, points to it, and ordering it in the palm of your hands. In other words, uh, that need that weather drives can be fulfilled quicker, easier uh, through a mobile sale than getting into a car, which gets you to think, do I really want to get into a car to go right. and buy this? And so mobile sales are actually uh, more weather-affected. Uh, to the upside, though, it yes. sounds like. So in other Absolutely. words, bad weather works to Amazon's advantage. I just saw a data point today. Amazon is now something like 48% of all online sales, some insane number like that. 
Bad weather means people are less likely to get into their car and therefore might be more likely to go online and purchase it. Or just good weather. So let's say in February, it's warm outside mm-hmm. and it's dry. And I can, no one wants to go to a store if you get a spate of good weather in Right. In the so uh, I wanted to plant a orchard in my backyard this year. Mm-hmm. And my original goal was to go to a landscaper but I was busy, and so in order to order it, because it was warm in February, I went on my phone, I went to an online service, and I ordered my orchard online, which then came in March when it was cold and wet. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, an, that's, that's fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about global warming, because clearly that's going to have a big impact on various businesses. How are companies thinking about climate change, and what sort of impact does that have on their businesses? So, you know, climate change happens over very long cycles, 30, Mm -hmm. 40, 50 years. Most chief executives are in their job for five years. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have a direct impact. I think the biggest thing with the climate change that that, uh, we always push is 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 really knowing how climate is impacting your companies. Most companies today uh, can't measure and don't know exactly what climate means to them. Really? That is is shocking to hear. One would imagine that, uh, especially for companies like transport or insurers or or anybody who's building real estate in southern Florida, these things would be significant. They know in general terms, Mm -hmm. but they've really not modeled. And again, our message to market is that you can't uh, manage to what you've never measured. So dealing with climate change, what we say is while we don't know really what that change is going to be, we should know how climate affects our companies as a first stage. And so what we've built is an analytical cloud-based engine that does just that, that takes in all their data, mixes it with weather, and measures it and comes up with an ongoing model that they can know at any given time exactly and precisely how weather is impacting their their uh, their uh, group from a financial Stand a point, revenue, profits, etc. Huh, that, that's quite fascinating. So, what percentage of companies are actively engaged in thinking about climate change and building it into some of their long term planning? Very few are actually doing it. Some of them are our clients, some of them are not, uh, but very few. Uh, a lot of people are talking about it, thinking mm-hmm. about it. And you you have to separate the words sustainability mm-hmm. from really taking into account how climate impacts you. So uh, most big companies today do do some type of sustainability, which is great for saving resources, money, uh, clean environment. But very few are actually analytically using their data to say, okay, how, how are we really affected by by the weather, uh, and therefore, how can we act differently as a result of it? So we talked earlier about Katrina and Sandy and some of the other pretty substantial um, disasters, weather disasters. Uh, How do these, and everybody just has to flash back to this for a few minutes, it was wall-to-wall television coverage, you couldn't get away from it at least if you were in the path of, of uh, either of those. Katrina, even here in New York, because of the, I guess the political component, uh, you couldn't get away from that for weeks. There was nonstop coverage of that. What is the actual impact of these large weather events? Well, remember that, uh, you know, in the case of Sandy, it hit, it hit the uh, New York area, so mm-hmm. it hit the hub of media. Uh, these these impacts are large on a very local basis. So obviously, New Orleans was devastated mm-hmm. uh, by that storm. Uh, New York City and the Jersey Shore was devastated by Sandy, but those are fairly small geographical areas. When you look at a national company uh, that is spanning a place like the U.S. that has I don't know ninety different uh, climate zones. So the maybe the bigger question is, 
when you have these big localized events, does it have any sort of impact on the rest of the country other than a five-minute television spot? Does everybody shrug it off and go on? I mean, I know that when, when Katrina hit, I didn't stop going out to restaurants. So I'm assuming the rest of the country is the same way. Well, it really depends when and where your businesses are located. So if mm-hmm. they're spread out nationally, it has a very large impact. If you if uh, you are concentrated in the Northeast, as far as where your revenue comes from, when the Sandy hit, yes, sure. that has a much larger impact. When you look at companies in Canada. Uh, they are spread out on a national basis, but really it's two cities that matter there. The weather in the Toronto area and the weather up in the Mont- Montreal. Montreal area. Out, I would think out. Vancouver is just as big as either of those, but that's much nicer weather, isn't it? It's much nicer, and it's a much smaller number of people. Oh, really? So when you look at a national company, that's, I think, the third or fourth largest. Uh, Calgary is another one. So it really comes down to the weather in those two main markets drive most businesses in uh, Canada. So what can companies do to mitigate weather-related business risk? The first thing they have to do is to measure it and really understand how is weather driving us. Uh, Then they have to strip weather out of their data to normalize it. That normalization reduces volatility, increases forecast accuracy. So just by removing weather from last year's data, which is messing up their planning, Mm -hmm. we can increase forecast accuracy anywhere from 2 to 8% on a national enterprise basis, which is huge. And then from an in-season standpoint, looking at a week, they have to insert weather into their data so that they can action according to where and when consumer demand is going to be next week driven by weather. So it seems like we've been making fun of the weatherman for for forever. Is is forecasting weather getting any better? And I know from my personal experience using the app on the phone, um, perfect example, I have a concert. We're recording this. I have an outdoor concert tonight. For the past four days, it's supposed to be raining tonight. Only by the time we got till Tuesday night, it poured Tuesday night, and now the sun's out, and it's supposed to be really nice tonight. So how good is weather forecasting? How much better has or worse has it gotten over the years? And can we really look out much beyond a couple of days and, and make an intelligent forecast? So... Weather forecasting has improved dramatically over the last three to four decades. Satellites have to help. Satellites, being able to crunch more data. When uh, I was a kid, uh, we could forecast out about a day or two. Today, Mm -hmm. we can get a good five-day forecast that's fairly accurate. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can get seven to ten days out that gives uh, you a pretty good trending. That didn't happen even uh, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, I think the biggest thing to ask is, now that we have access to so much uh, computing power through the cloud, will that advance weather forecasting out more time? And that's really the work that's being done out there. It's certainly helping to get more more local. So to get more accurate a local forecast in one town versus another, there's no doubt that that is uh, taking place. Whether it gets us out a week or a month or more, I think is yet to be seen. Do we overlook the fact that weather forecasters give us the forecast in terms of probability? And when the probability, hey, the 20% chance of rain turns up, are we wrong for blaming them for that low probabilistic outcome actually taking place? Well, I think that the profession hurts themselves by giving probabilities. You know, I once, oh, really? I, I once worked with an, a man named uh, Irving Crick in, mm-hmm. in my youth. Irving Crick was Eisenhower's meteorologist, chief information officer during the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And he always taught me never to give probabilities. He said, just tell them what's going to happen and stick by it. You're either going to be right or wrong. Mm -hmm. He said probabilities just give you a cushion, but doesn't really help the user to know what's going to happen. And so from then on, and and in fact, in uh, Planalytics, we don't give any 
probabilities. We just tell them what's going to happen, tell them how it's going to impact their uh, uh, sales, and we stick by it. What happens when you're looking out and there are certain things that are 50-50, that there isn't a clear uh, likely outcome? Well, in those cases, you have to be driven by the data. And of course, at Planalytics, we don't make our own forecasts. We buy the weather forecast data just like anyone else. Uh, and uh, what we do is we use that data to go into our models to forecast sales. Are they going to be up or down? And generally, our, our sales models are much more accurate than, let's say, just the weather because we are applying different types of analytics to it to give a client exactly what they need to know, which is how much is weather going to drive us. Hmm. So you're much more concerned with more extreme events than that sort of partly cloudy sort of day. Right. I mean, the part, partly cloudy, rainy on a day-to-day basis is not so much driving sales as what's happening in the warming or colding or cold versus last year or normal. Those are the things that are really driving people to buy or to not buy. We have been speaking with Fred Fox. He is the chief executive officer and founder of weather analytics company Planalytics. We love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. Write to me at mibpodcast at bloomberg.net. Be sure and check out my daily column on bloombergview.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ritholtz. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You're listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to the podcast. Fred, thank you so much for doing this. This is really fascinating stuff for me. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about, about some things we missed that I really wanted to get to. You founded the company in 1996. So you're 20-plus you're years old. What was the original vision? What was the plan? Because I can't imagine in the mid-1990s, with technology booming and the dot-coms blowing up, who stops and says, I have an idea. Let's do a weather analytics company for data services for businesses. What what motivated that, and what was the original vision behind this? Well, I, we were doing some work at a group called uh, uh, Charming Shops uh, outside mm-hmm. of Philly. Uh, I, I, they're big chain. Are they still around? They are not, but they were... Uh, discount women's fashion. And uh, the uh, head of that company, uh, David Wax, who was a good family friend, said, look at our numbers here because they're all up and down. And I'm wondering if it's weather. And I asked everyone around the uh, organization. No one knew. And someone said, why don't you uh, speak to such and such who is a merchant who has been here for 30 years? And I went to speak to this person, and and I was a young guy, and he answered me. He didn't say it, but he said it like this, stupid, it's the weather. <laughs> and I got some weather data, and we looked at some of their numbers and was just shocked at how how the weather matched their sales almost one-to-one. Mm-hmm. And it gave me an idea that if this is such a big deal and no one's looking at it, this is this is something that these businesses need to know. And so the the original mission that we started with really hasn't changed, which is to help businesses measure and manage the impact of weather to to improve their their uh, uh, sales and and the profits. Did you have any background in weather or meteorology or anything like that? None. 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 No, I went to an engineering school. I graduated from a college of architecture at uh, at Georgia Tech. So I was uh, analytically minded, but it wasn't what I had set out to do in life. Did you get any pushback from friends or family or business associates when you said, here's my idea. I want to open up a weather analytics company to help businesses deal with weather. Did Did anybody look at you like, dude, what are you talking about? Oh, Lots of people. In fact, a <laughs> close family friend who 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 was very successful in uh, industry pulled me aside and said, "Fred, 
just uh, remember that when you have your first failure, <laughs> make sure to get up off your feet and try again. And I remember saying to him, uh, David, what do you mean? You, you uh, think I'm going to fail? He said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when you have your first failure... <laughs> Uh, so that was a very loud and clear uh, note that he, he he didn't think much of what what, what I thought he was just doing. trying to encourage you. Hey, listen, everybody right. slips and falls. You have to get up right. and keep trying. That that's interesting. And so, what was the original vision when when you first started mapping this out? How did you see this developing? So our original vision hasn't changed. The means by which we are doing it has changed radically. And, and, and so our vision has been to help businesses uncover how weather's affecting them and to measure it and then provide them the information that they can action and do things differently as a result of knowing how weather's going to affect them next week, next month, next season. What's changed is, of course, our means of doing it. When we started out in 96 with Planalytics, the most advanced technology we had was uh, Excel. That mm -hmm. was our analytical platform, as well as uh, email. Uh, so just a simple spreadsheet, not any big database. Not exactly. That. We would get the data. We would match it up. We would provide them results in PowerPoint, which was sort of the newest, uh, uh -huh. latest thing around then. Uh, we slowly evolved that. We raised a lot of money uh, in uh, 99 and 201 to really build out a whole web-based platform and, and tool for presenting the data. Uh, we we moved from a consulting shop more to a software as a service model in around two o five and six and software started. as a service. So your clients, sub, is it a subscription model? Yes. yes. So they're subscribing to their service and they can run their data through your engine and and deal with the output right. themselves. And then what has really changed our world more than anything else has been the cloud. So. The cloud has allowed us to measure all of a company's data all at once, going as far back as they have, and come up with an enterprise model to how weather affects every bit of their enterprise. We were never able to do uh, that a few years ago. I mean, it would have shut down our whole operation. And all of a sudden, the cloud allows you to do that. So for the first time, we can really fulfill our mission that we started with 20 years ago to now tell companies exactly how they are weather-affected and to transform the way that they operate, plan, allocate, everything due to climate. So let's talk about that transformation because there's – I want to ask you about different sectors, but before I get to that, I'm a retailer, and I live in a part of the—I operate stores in the part of the country that is subject to hot and cold and wet and snow and what have you. What What is it that I'm going to do to plan around weather events? So there are several things, and that's both pre-season, in-season, and— postseason. Uh, Preseason, what we can do is to remove weather from last year's data. Why is that important? Because the weather only reoccurs about 20% of the time in a given place and time. So by leaving weather in their data, mm -hmm. they actually have an 80% chance that last year won't happen. So by removing it and normalizing it, they can plan from a weather neutral basis, which improves their accuracy tremendously. On specific product categories, it can be as much as 20 to 50% forecast improvement just by removing weather volatility. So in other words, before the season starts, you can say, this is what our sales were like, minus the impact of weather last year, and we'll just extrapolate a X percent gain into this year. Exactly. And there's your baseline. Right. And then in season, as we start to get the data in from from all the weather forecast models, we then put that into our business model that we've built that tells them exactly how much and where weather will drive them in terms of dollars and units uh, next few days, ne next week. And so that affects how they replenish, how they market, how they order. And then 
postseason, which is looking at from a reporting standpoint, how the weather really affect us last week? Was it the weather? Was it our marketing? Was it something else? So being able to separate out weather pro, pro provides enormous uh, worth in helping them to know how they are really performing. So weather affects them in all three time zones. And the last thing is because we can do because we can now do uh, enterprise modeling, we now are integrating those analytics directly into their existing software and ERP systems. So we have relationships with a JDA, Oracle, all of those firms, and we can put that data right into their existing systems. So it's now automatic, what we call algorithmic retailing, uh, that this can now take place. So. Retail is pretty obvious, or, or one would imagine. What other sectors uh, are significantly affected by um, weather? I, I would have to imagine transportation, um, insurance. What, what else is there an impact? Well, so anyone uh, making— Real estate even? One, one, right. One. So anyone making, selling, servicing consumer goods. So a manufacturer's retail. Tailors, restaurants, malls, mm-hmm. uh, uh, online or stores, all very weather affected. When you go outside of the consumer sectors, uh, one of the uh, things that we are working on is a new uh, biz- business called uh, Agrametrics, which is instead of measuring the impact of weather on consumer demand, it is looking at the impact of weather on the crops globally Mm -hmm. and really how that affects all the different businesses servicing the agricultural chains. And I have to come back to, you just mentioned online and offline. I, I, I have to come back to the whole issue of e commerce and weather. What does this mean for for retailers going forward if e-commerce is not only weather-resistant, but good weather, people don't go to the stores, bad weather, they own online? Uh, Is the impact of weather just driving a further adoption of of e-commerce? Well, uh, I would say that weather is affecting uh, online sales even more than it affects store-based sales. Mm-hmm. And so as consumers go more online, for for us as a weather analytics company, that's really good news because it means that more and more types of shopping behavior has a higher level of weather impact than the stores. So it, it's even more important for for these companies to really understand how much weather is driving it. Uh, I'll say it another way, too, that when you look at the residual, meaning after they've measured everything else, what is the part left they can't measure? So what do these groups know now? Well, they they can measure brands. They can measure hot products. Uh, and uh, they can measure what types of consumers and how advertising works. But the residual comes down to really two things, price and weather. Those are the two levers that they have. And yet, uh, every company out there looks at price, but almost no one's looking at weather. And yet, weather can have a higher impact on their sales than even price does. So an, an optimum, let, let's imagine an optimum company that is fully adapted f- to dealing with weather. What are they doing as the weather changes in order to address that, not just the reporting of it, but getting things to consumers and capturing their attention in response to weather-related events? Well, how our clients use it and how others should be using it is to use it, again, pre-season to set what the plan is, to allocate, to to pre-allocate to the stores based on where the demand's going to be. So Mm -hmm. if you can allocate right the first time, that saves a lot on inventory. Uh, and then once you get into the season, being able to replenish the stores ahead to where and when consumer 
demand, especially weather-driven consumer demand is... Give give us an example of weather-driven consumer demand. Yeah, so... So right now, if you are a retailer or even a manufacturer going to the D.C., you are only looking backwards if you're not using weather, meaning that you know that you're running out of a certain good. And so you want to ship products to your D.C.s or stores based to make sure that you have stuff on the shelf. But if you use weather analytics, all of a sudden you have a predictive tool to know not only where your inventory is low, but where the consumer demand is going to be for these products. So you can ship ahead of it to know that, hey, we're going to ship to the Northeast right away because next week we are showing weather-driven demand is going to be up 25% over last year and we're out of products versus uh, the Southeast where we're out of products too, but uh, weather-driven demand is going to be down 25%. So we may not be shipping there as fast. We, we, we need to run to the stores. Another example is really marketing into waves of weather-driven demand. So we know from all of our experience that when you market into upcoming weather-driven demand, you do get greater lift. You, mm-hmm. you get a greater response. So you can actually drive more people to your site, to your stores, by making them aware of uh, the right product at uh, the right time. So I want to get to our favorite standard questions. Before I do that, I have to ask, you, you've mentioned several things that I just never imagined about weather. Tell me one, one more. To Give me one more example of things that most people, including businesses that should know better, are just wholly oblivious to about how weather impacts the economy, different businesses, et cetera? Well, you know, uh, things that you would think are not weather-affected are weather-affected. One of the uh, products we started to analyze a lot a few years ago is a pet food. Pet food tends to be weather-affected. See, I would imagine pet food is my pet is I have a couple of big dogs. They eat a lot of food. I order that on Amazon and I do it pretty regularly. I know, all right, I'm two thirds of the way through the bag, order another bag. Why would that be affected by weather? It's because uh, people are buying other things that are affected by weather. So they're going to a site, they're going into the stores to buy more seasonal foods, seasonal items. Uh, and what we are seeing is is uh, that there's uh, that there's an impact on weather. It's not as big as let's say uh, shorts or fleece mm-hmm. or, or boots, but we're seeing a one to two percent uh, uh, lift or drag due to weather. Which for pet foods, it doesn't have a lot of drivers. That's a big one. Huh. Give me give me one more. That that's quite fascinating. I never would have guessed that. Well, uh, anything to do with uh, uh, restaurant traffic is very weather affected. That the people don't really think through. That uh, you know, we just don't go to uh, to buy food out if it's raining or if it's very hot or or. Uh, what do you do in cold. places like Seattle or London, where it seems to rain much of the time? How does that impact uh, restaurants, or is it more regional? Well, here is uh, the funny thing, that when you live in a climate that's always wet, Mm -hmm. people shop when it's wet and shop less when it's sunny. Because they want to be out and about and enjoy the weather. They want to be outside. It's, It's why the weather impacts on Tampa and Miami, Florida are so different. For the same weather, and you have to say why they're both in Florida. They're they're both in South Florida. West well, Coast versus East Coast. Well, no, Tampa and Miami have very different uh, demographics. Tampa is a much older uh, group of people in it than Miami, which is younger. So when the weather gets nice in Tampa, shopping goes up mm-hmm. because older people are shopping when it's nice. When the weather gets nice in. Huh. Miami, it's 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 much younger people. They aren't shopping. They're out doing outdoor activities. So it really varies by where and when you live. So you're you're you would say a a wetter area like Seattle, people are going to shop 
when it rains, they'll go to restaurants. When it rains, it shouldn't really make any impact. Exactly. Hmm. exactly. I, I have a friend who uh, whose company was bought by Yahoo in the 1990s, and when I had asked him about that um, some years later, he said, you know, how, how are you adapting to California as a lifelong New Yorker? And his answer was, it, it, it took us two years to unpack. Why did it take you so long to unpack? Well, we plan on unpacking each weekend, and each weekend it's nice out, so we would run our, uh, outside and do outdoor activities. It took us about two years to figure out, oh, it's always nice out. Right. So we're not going to miss anything by unpacking. That's the fear. You unpack on a Saturday, it rains on a Sunday, oh, you ruin your yeah. whole your whole weekend. So that that was uh, Jeff's story. It was, literally took him two years to, to unpack. Um, let's get to some of my favorite questions uh, that we ask all our guests. Uh, tell, tell us the most important thing that people don't know about your background. Well, I think one of the things that uh, people may or may not know is that I am a, a, a stutterer. And, mm-hmm. as a, and, as a, and, and when I was younger, I pretty much couldn't talk. Uh, Till till how old? Till my uh, mid to late teens, and even through college, I had a lot of uh, difficulties. Uh, So I had to overcome that uh, in really everything that I do. And I I think that when you have a disability when you're younger and you are over, and and that you are able to overcome that disability, it, 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 it really sets you up differently than others. It gives you certain fortitude. It gives you certain uh, empathy, maybe, towards others. Mm-hmm. So you're a CEO. You're obviously doing sales with different companies. Uh, how does that presentation factor impact you? I mean, you, you have to be communicating constantly with people. I have to speak all the time. I have to speak in front of audiences. And, uh, you know, I just don't I just don't really let it get to me. So mm-hmm. if I think my speech is going off, then I'll take a deep breath and I'll start again. And uh, you, you, just get, you just get used to plowing through and doing the best you can. And uh, I do like sales. So it's not that I just have to do sales, but I love selling. So I'm a stutterer that loves selling. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that is quite quite fascinating. T- tell us about some of your early mentors. You know, I've had a lot of great people. I've been blessed to know great people, starting with my mother and father, who uh, are, are really still great uh, mentors. Uh, my my uh, my my, uh, my uh, grandmother, uncle, and aunt uh, all taught me a lot of things about people, uh, ethics, uh, how to deal with people. I mean, I grew up in a household of five, so mm-hmm. we were always fighting for attention and food <laughs> uh, at, at a table. And, and in uh, work, I've I've worked with just a lot of tremendous people. Uh, Irving Crick, who uh, my first company was was with I mean working with a World War II a guy that knew Eisenhower and worked with him when I was in my 20s was was really neat I've had uh, a lot of people that I've worked with who I've hired have become my mentors so I I, I like to think that I, I learned from those who I work with as well let's talk about um, other and I, I'm I, normally if I'm speaking to an investor I ask about other investors but you're a little difficult to pigeonhole. So what sort of data uh, analytics people and or weather people influence your approach to, to your business? Well, you know, one of my uh, – the person who, who, who helped me to get Planalytics going in 96 and raise money is uh, Howard Morgan, who is the co-founder of First Round Capital, mm-hmm. and has been involved with the uh, internet really since you know, just since uh, the seventies. So he's sort of become a legend, and I was very lucky to have him as a person that helped me get the company going. Has been on my board for many years, uh, uh, up until uh, First Round Capital, and he's. Uh, Still, uh, still a guy I go to and uh, for advice, and just watching people like that, how they deal with investors, how they raise money, their expectations, has been a great guide to 
me about how to uh, uh, work with in investors. So this is everybody's favorite question. Tell us about some of your favorite books. They could be analytics or whether related or not, fiction, nonfiction. What are you reading? What do you like? You know, uh, the books have sort of evolved since my youth. So if you, you know, if you look in my youth, I uh, loved uh, Ayn Rand, the the Fountainhead, uh, Atlas Shrug. Uh, I love reading about uh, history, the uh, people, uh, discovery of freedom by a by a Rose Wilder was a great book I read early on. Uh, you know, recently. Uh, I just read a great book by uh, Peter Zane on uh, uh, on um, accidental superpower. You know, mm-hmm. that talks about the U.S. and why why we are the way we are. So, history people is really a love of mine to read, and I think that goes into the to the climate area too, because climate is part of what makes history warming cooling, drought. I mean, that is what has driven mankind and civilization and war is very much to uh, do with how climate drives people. Uh, uh, there's a reason why there's there's a lot of Shiites in a South Iraq. It's because of the drought cycle mm-hmm. uh, over thousands of years when there's drought up in the, the, the northern plains of uh, Persia, Iran. You know, it drives people down to the uh, lower delta of the Euphrates where there's lots of water and food. So just little things like that. Understanding climate allows you to uh, answer part of the why of civilization, people, and nations. Hmm. That, that's quite interesting. Um, so since you launched Planalytics <coughs> over 20 years ago, uh, what's changed in the industry? What's the key element that has altered how you approach this business? Well, there are several key changes. Uh, when I started, uh, weather data had a lot of of uh, worth. Today, it has very little uh, value because it's become a commodity product, meaning that anyone can get as much weather data as they want uh, very easily. Mm-hmm. In the, the in the states. Weather data is free. It's paid for by the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. So our ability to access that has become very easy. Uh, analytics, the strides in the ability to analyze huge amounts of data have been revolutionary in just uh, the last 20 years. And and that's why, for me, I'm as excited, if not more excited, than when we started Planalytics 20 years ago because the analytics – really allows us to uh, fulfill the mission that we uh, started with in ways that we couldn't even dream of uh, even uh, several years ago. So that really leads into the next question. What what are the next major shifts? Is it all technology, or what what is going to change going forward? Well, for us, uh, the, the uh, certainly the Technology, cloud computing, provides us the ability to what I call weatherize the the entire business world. So, mm-hmm. we now have the world as our oyster, of which to play in, which we didn't a few years ago. So, our ability to grow at scale with a single uh, analytics engine and analyze any company anywhere is now upon us. So we have an incredible opportunity to not only change our company, but to change the entire world, how it uses and brings in weather and climate. So that's pretty exciting because Mm -hmm. you don't get those opportunities to make that big of an impact uh, as we now can do. Uh, There's there's certainly lots of other changes that take place outside of our little part of the world. But for us, that's as big as it gets. Well, to weatherize all of business, for sure. Um, Tell us about a time you failed and what you learned from the experience. Well, uh, you know, 
we all fail many times. Mm-hmm. And as uh, you know, the key is to get up off uh, the ground, shake it off, and just keep uh, walking ahead. I, I remember uh, <clears throat> after 9-11, we had raised uh, almost a little less than a year before uh, a lot of venture money. And we had hired a lot of people, and we were gearing up to really break open. <clears throat> And uh, and nine uh, eleven happened, and uh, the world stopped. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it sort of uh, it was pretty obvious that the spend that we had was not going to match our 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 growth. And at the, and at some point down the road, about a year down the road, that we would run out of money. So I went back to my board, and I said, "We need to really cut our spend a lot." And we need to look at a different world than when we started a year ago. Part of my board said, that's great. And part of my board wanted to fire me mm-hmm. <laughs> because they said, we didn't put money into Planalytics for you to cut spending. We expect you to spend. And it was a real fight and a real lesson. And uh, I basically said, look, if uh, you want to fire me, then fire me. But this is what I think. And this is what I'm recommending. And uh, more of my board uh, agreed agreed with me than didn't. And we ended up taking the company down to about half of our spend. So we put major cuts and were able to really uh, make it through the uh, downturn that lasted a few years. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you do to keep uh, mentally and or physically fit outside of the office? What do you do for relaxation or enjoyment? Well, I have an exercise routine that can travel. Mm -hmm. So uh, anything I can do on the floor to exercise works for me. So Mm -hmm. just push-ups, sit-ups, stretches, uh, anything like that, walking stairs. Uh, I found that if I have to go to a gym, then I don't go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have a routine I do. As far as relaxation, uh, and spending time with my wife, my kids, especially my five-year-old daughter, which, you know, nothing is more fun than a five-year-old girl. Um, what sort of advice would you give to millennials or someone just starting out their career who want to go into some form of data analytics, consulting, or, or anything involving weather? Well, I would think, if, if I could just go broader mm-hmm. a, a little bit, uh, you know, the first advice that I would give them is make sure you love what you were doing. You know, mm-hmm. life is short, and uh, yeah, whatever you do, you uh, better love it. And it doesn't matter what you're paid. Yes, it helps to be paid a lot. But the more important thing is to be happy. Uh, you know, an, another thing that I would say is uh, is to, uh, you know, treat treat others as you want to be treated. So, as, uh, you know, it says in the, the, the good book, uh, Love, Leviticus, you know, love your fellow as yourself. So, you know, treat others well and expect to be treated well and to uh, try to do things that are going to help help people. Uh, you know, I, I, I also think that uh, I, I, I also think that uh, when you're looking at uh, what you want to do and where you want to do it, uh, the, 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 the important thing is to uh, surround yourself with a happy, positive people. Mm-hmm. So, And it's not that we shouldn't try to help those who are down on our luck, but there are people that are just not positive. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that uh, uh, I'm, I'm much better off if I hire positive people, if, you know, if I'm with positive people, because they're always a lift. <laughs> I, I like that answer. Um, and tell me, uh, for our final question, what is it that you know about weather analytics as a business today that you wish you knew 20 years ago when you were starting out? Well, I'm glad I didn't know how hard it would be to make a market. <laughs> because market making is a definitely hard. It's also the most most exciting thing that one can do. 
to uh, to uh, educate people, change uh, the way they think, and to provide huge value. So it's not so much what I wish I knew. It it's it's more about what I've uh, learned. Because if I knew how hard it would be, uh, would you, would I have still done it? Uh, I th- think I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to measure that against uh, the benefits I've gotten from really uh, learning and uh, all the great people that I've met in uh, doing it. And, and more importantly, taking something as uh, amorphous as weather and suddenly putting it into a major company systems that they're using in every day, planning with every day, that's what really gets our juices going. Hmm. Quite Quite fascinating. We have been speaking to Fred Fox. He is the founder and CEO of Planalytics. If you enjoy this conversation, be sure to look up or down a few inches on Apple iTunes where you can see any of the prior 150 or so previous podcasts. I would be remiss if I did not thank all the people who helped put this podcast together. Medina Parwana is our recording and audio engineer who makes me sound far better than I actually am in real life. Taylor Riggs is our producer and booker. Michael Batnick is the head of research. We love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. Write to us at mibpodcast at bloomberg.net. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You've been listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio.